you to open your Bibles, if you would please, to Revelation chapter 20. And you can see from the title of the message tonight that we've reached a milestone in our study. We're now at the 100th message in our study of Revelation. Now, that number doesn't have any particular significance, and we're not going to have a party or a cake or anything like that because we reached 100. Uh, Some of you probably think that it's taken 100 years for us to get here, and you're tired and worn out with it, but uh, you're going to be 100 or 120, 125 or so, something like that, before we get done. So I hope, though, that that 100 represents thoroughness because what we haven't done is to skim this book. I mean, there, there is so much more even that could have been said if we had a chance to go back over this again. But I like the type of study that we do here because it just gives the opportunity to, to touch on a lot of different Bible doctrines. And so we have to dig into other parts of the Scripture to make sense of the book of Revelation to kind of pull the whole story together, the whole study together. And it's really not any more clearly seen than when we arrive here in chapter 20. Uh, Our subject is the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is a real, literal, physical kingdom that's coming to this earth. Uh, Christ will uh, establish that kingdom. And his arrival, as we study it here in Revelation, is the apex of the book. In fact, this is the high point of human history. It's the restoration of the earth to the environment of Eden. And the story of how that takes place is woven throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. And so we would expect then that when we get to chapter 20, and we actually arrive at the establishment of the kingdom, that there would be this long flowing description of it. But instead we arrive here and there are only three short verses that barely mention the kingdom at all. And so what we have to do is uh, take other places of Scripture and just bring it all together and hang it on this very thin skeleton that we have here in chapter 20. And so we're sent to these other parts of the Bible to dig these things out. And one of the great Scriptures that we have in the Old Testament concerning God's kingdom is Habakkuk 2.14, which says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. So there's this golden age that's coming to the earth, and when it comes, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth from sea to shining sea. Well, our text verses are Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, and so tonight we will continue our discussion of the millennial kingdom. Verse number 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. As I've mentioned, there isn't much description in those verses about life in the kingdom. And so we we do have a little bit of information here about a special period that's marked off from uh, the entirety of the kingdom, and that is what we term the millennial reign. It's the millennial kingdom, and it's not the entire kingdom. It's not the, the full extent of it. Once the kingdom begins, it's an everlasting kingdom, but the millennium 
just covers a specific period of time, and that relates to the time that Satan is put into the abyss. Uh, It's the time when Satan will not be loose upon the earth to tempt us and to make life miserable for people that live here. And so there's going to be a, uh, I guess you would call it a a, a a holy aura about the kingdom. Uh, Sin is going to be in check during that time. And we're going to talk a little bit more in just a few minutes about that aspect of the kingdom. And if you've read ahead, which I assume that most of you have probably done, at verse number 7 it says that the, that the end of this thousand years that Satan will be turned loose from the abyss, he will go out and he will deceive the nations once again, and then God will give Satan, Satan his final judgment and all those who follow him. And then when that's done, the first phase of the kingdom is complete. And then we enter into that phase where there's a new heaven and a new earth, and the earth is completely purged from the corruption of sin. So our study, though, for right now is about the character of the millennial kingdom. So I've termed this the resplendent millennium. The millennium is filled with the glory of the Lord. And this is a time when everyone across the world will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the king, that he has the right to rule all creatures upon the earth. And not only does he have the right, but Jesus is going to exercise that right. Today, the majority of the world does not recognize that Christ uh, has uh, the right to reign, but that is all going to change when he comes to rule with a rod of iron. Now, in the last message, we just had time enough to look at a couple of aspects of the kingdom that's coming. So let me briefly go through that again, and then we'll go just a little bit further this evening. The first that we talked about was the change of topography. Physically, the earth is going to look different than it does now. And that's because the judgments that God brings upon the earth during the tribulation time will have a dramatic effect on the world's topography. Now, during the tribulation, there's going to be a series of earthquakes, and one of those is described as being more powerful than the world has ever seen in all of its history. Now, back on uh, March the 10th, I believe it was, there was the earthquake in Japan, and right after that earthquake, uh, Gary Moline uh, sent out some satellite photos of before and after pictures of what Japan looked like uh, 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 before and after the earthquake. And, and the change in things was truly remarkable. Most of those pictures had to do with buildings, houses, neighborhoods, and all of that. And it was amazing what a, a magnitude 9.1 quake could do. And in the tribulation time, great cities are going to be destroyed. Babylon, which is the kingdom of the Antichrist during the tribulation time is going to be vaporized. I mean, just left in dust and ashes. But there's also changes uh, that you could see in, in, that, in those pictures that Gary gave, uh, changes to the coastline of Japan, and that was because of the uh, tsunami. But that was an earthquake that's nothing in comparison to what will happen during the uh, time of the tribulation. One of those earthquakes, the Bible tells us, is so powerful that mountains are shaken down and islands actually disappear from the sea. The earth is going to be flattened out. And I would suppose, as I've told you a couple of times before, that one of the highest points on the earth will be Jerusalem and truly be a a great shining city on the hill where Christ will reign. But that's not the only change. In the 8th chapter, the scripture says that one-third of the trees will be burned up. Uh, Henry Morris, who uh, 
was one of the founders of the Institute for Creation Research, says that the world is going to be much more like it was during the antediluvian period, the time before the flood. So there will be a shift to the continents. Perhaps there will only be one continent uh, during the Millennial Kingdom and uh, not seven continents like we have today. So that's just kind of a brief look at the geographical features during the Millennial Kingdom. But there's also changes to people. There is a change in longevity. Uh, The lifespans of people are going to be much longer during the Millennial period with disease that's eradicated, with the radiation of the sun that's, that's limited, people are going to live to be much older. And the scripture tells us that people at 100 years old will still be considered to be like children. And I think that that might be possibly an indication that lifespans could be so long that it might be that there are some people that go into the millennium or are born in the millennium at the early part, and they will actually live long enough to see the entire millennium. Lifetimes in the millennium in Scripture are compared to the age of trees. And some trees live to be hundreds, even thousands of years old. Now, I don't know if that's a bit of hyperbole there, but certainly the Bible does teach that lifespans are going to be much, much greater than they are now. But death is not impossible. Death is not impossible during the millennial kingdom because when people defy the king, they're going to be dealt with swiftly. And in many cases, that punishment will be death. And so with disease gone, with wars that are stopped, with peaceful coexistence between men and animals, with solar radiation reduced, people are going to live a long, long time in the millennium. Well, let's move on then to some other changes that will take place. I just mentioned their animals. So thirdly, we're going to look at the change in animals relationally. And there are two types of changes that will take place in the animal kingdom the relation that the animals have to each other and also the relation that animals have to man. When God created the world, there was peace in the animal kingdom. God told Adam in Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then in Genesis 2, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. I think there is an indication that Adam was not afraid of the animals and neither were the animals afraid of him. So Adam was able to walk through that lush green garden of God and he never feared that a scorpion would sting him. He was never afraid that a lion would jump out from behind the bushes or a a tiger and would eat him. Adam was not afraid of the animals. And, And there are some who also believe that Adam's mind was so highly developed that he was actually able to even communicate with the animals. But all of that changed in a very dramatic way when Adam sinned. Before there was no death. No animal could harm Adam. He wouldn't harm animals. But when Adam sinned against God, God stunned Adam by killing an animal. Killing animals to clothe his nakedness. And so it was God himself who made the first animal sacrifice. But it it still doesn't appear that Adam killed animals to eat them after that and there probably weren't immediate changes in the animal kingdom so that they became predators right away 
But there, there was a fear, though, that did develop between man and animals, and that's developed all through uh, the first part of human history until we come down today. And so we are afraid of many animals. If an animal's not domesticated, we try to stay away from it. And even some that are domesticated, we don't want to get too close to. I mean, nobody's ever going to convince me that um, it's all right to put a pit bull, a pit bull with little kids or a Rottweiler or anything like that. I'm just not convinced. Well, I, you know, I don't want my children around that because an animal like that can, can change in a heartbeat. So we have to be careful about things like that. My wife, as I've told you before, is terribly afraid of spiders. Uh, she's afraid of any type of bug for that matter, and so she makes me kill all the spiders in the house, er, er, even the ones that we can peacefully cohabitate with. She wants them all dead. Uh, I remember when Clarissa went home in February that we, I took her home, and we got all her stuff unloaded in the car. and So she got ready to take the recycle bin outside to have the... the um, garbage people picked that up and there was a black widow spider that had made a web on the handle of the of the recycle bin and she was torn about whether she should kill that spider so she had to because you know that was too dangerous to leave there but a little bit later she found another black widow and it was in a more obscure place where you weren't likely to get to it and I remember uh, when Jason came home from deployment the first thing he did was take a shoe to that spider so, you know, people are afraid of those things. Um, we're, we're afraid of animals. When we first moved to California, we lived on the eastern side of Napa Valley, up in the mountain there on, at Angwin, right out in the middle of the Las Posadas Forest. And there were critters of every kind imaginable that were there. And so my wife, uh, when we finally did get to move away from there, she was just so happy because she just can't take those bugs and all those things that are around. But I remember one night we came home from, from church and it was dark, and uh, the garage is separate, was separate from the house there. And we got out of the garage, and we started to go down the steps to go into the house, and there was a rattlesnake that was on the steps going down. Well, it was dark, and you couldn't see it, but thank the Lord, he gave a warning that he was there. And so we went around the other way. Well, we have that fear of animals, but that's going to change during the millennial kingdom. The mutual fear between man and animals will not be there. Animals are not going to kill other animals, and animals will not kill men. People are not going to be afraid of being attacked. Now, you're familiar with some of the Old Testament passages that speak of this. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 11. He says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. And then Isaiah 65, it says, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Hosea says in Hosea 2, And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowls of the heaven and with creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. Ezekiel chapter 34 says, And I will make them with them a covenant of peace, 
and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. A few weeks ago, someone asked me, I think it was John, John asked me during the Sunday morning forum class, if Job's counselors ever told the truth about anything, was their counsel wise? And the answer to that question is, they said some very wise things. Now, they wrongly applied them towards Job, but there were a lot of things that they said were very wise. Eliphaz, in one of his speeches, said this. He said, At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh. Neither shalt thou be afraid of the beast of the earth, for thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be at peace with thee. And what Eliphaz is talking about there, the advice as he's given, giving, is that when we submit ourselves completely to God, and when we let God rule over us, and when God's will is done in our lives, when God's rule is complete and we are in submission to him, that is an end of all of our troubles. There is no trouble or sorrow when we obey God as we should. There is a peaceful existence that would be in every person's life if all of us yielded ourselves completely to the will of God. Now, the Apostle Paul even spoke of this. Uh, He talked about the deliverance of the animal kingdom. And this is in Romans chapter 8. I'd like you to turn there if you would. And uh, this is really a great passage. Romans 8, many people believe, is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. I mean, this, it is one of the, the highest points of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. And the particular Scripture we're going to read here is one that gets lost a lot of times, and uh, people aren't even aware that this is a part of Romans chapter 8. Usually what we do is we read maybe the first 8, 9, or 10 verses, or we start at verse number 28 and read down to the end of the chapter. Some start at 28 and skip 29 and 30 and take up again at verse number 31. But here is a very important part uh, of Scripture, and Paul's talking actually about the millennial kingdom. It's a long portion. It starts with verse number 18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. There's some really interesting comments in those verses. Verse 18 speaks of the glory that God's people will have when Christ returns to rule the earth. Verse number 19 says that the animals will be glad to see that as well because changes will occur with them. And then verses 20 and 21 tell us that animals are not the problem, that it's man who caused the curse to come upon the earth, and the animals were forced to live under that curse. And they, they were thrown into this survival of the fittest mode because of the curse. And so every animal or some animals became another link in somebody's food chain. That's not the animal's fault. That's not the way that God originally created the world. There was total peace 
in the animal kingdom and with man during uh, when God first created the world. So he intends to bring it back to that place. And so he says in verse number 22, because of all this, the whole creation groans and is suffering, waiting to be delivered from the curse. And guess what? It will be delivered. When we receive the redemption of our bodies, then the curse will be lifted. Now, in our text in Revelation, which will be part of another message uh, in this series, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. You know why you're blessed and holy to have part in the first resurrection? It's because you will have a glorified body. Those that are in the resurrection will have redeemed bodies. They'll rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. Now, none of what I've just told you is found in this passage in Revelation chapter 20. You have to go to other parts of the Bible. You have to get all of that out, and you have to hang it on this, on this skeleton that we find here in, in Revelation chapter 20. Now, one of the things that really interests me about this, I mean, almost stupefies me, is people who believe that there is no literal kingdom. Now, we've talked about that several times, but Romans chapter 8 is a very difficult portion of Scripture for people who do not believe in a literal kingdom. Because if we're living in the kingdom right now, then according to Romans chapter 8, we shouldn't have to go to the zoo to see wild animals. Uh, They should be roaming around the parks and in our neighborhoods, and you should be able to go on an African safari and go through the savanna there, just walking through, not afraid of any animals that are there. And if we're in the kingdom right now, then bugs and spiders and snakes should all be just cuddled up in your bed with you and everybody having a good time. Black widows, brown recluse, you don't worry about that. Rattlesnake's not a problem. That's the way it's going to be like in the millennial kingdom. We won't be afraid of them. That's what happens when God puts the world right side up again to be like it was when he created it. So there's a change coming. And maybe in the millennial kingdom I like cats. I kind of doubt it, but I might when we get there. So a change in topography, a change in longevity, a change in animals relationally, or whatever the differences might might there be. Well, there's also a change in morality. Things are going to be different morally. All of us are sinners that are saved by God's grace, and after we're saved, we're still sinners. And when the millennial kingdom begins, sin is not yet done with. That phase of the kingdom is not about the eradication of all sin, and and we see that because a little bit later, as I uh, referenced uh, verse number 7 a moment ago, Satan is loosed, and then he stirs up another rebellion against God. So we know that people are still sinners in the millennial kingdom. And so we know the sin nature has not been removed. So everybody that's living in their natural bodies has the sin nature, just, just like we have today. And to get rid of that sin nature, you have to be glorified. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three: For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So as long as we're living in the natural body, we have the sin nature. And so those that go into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies are sinners, and some of them will, or all of them will in some ways still sin, but sin is going to be held in check. There is a marked radical difference between what happens during the tribulation time and what happens during the millennium. In the tribulation, sin is unchecked. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You might want to underline that one because what we read in, uh, in the Mother's Day message this morning, people that are disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you'll notice that those verses are eerily similar to what Paul wrote about the heathen in Romans chapter 1. And there he was talking about people that are godless. And when people are godless, they go mad with sin. Without knowledge of the one true God, people go wild in sin and they end up in the worst forms of debauchery. I mean, you look, you look at what's happened in this particular part of the country. Here we have a great diversity of people, and there's a huge diversity of all different kinds of religions that are mixed in here. And so Christianity is at a low ebb in this place where we live. I mean, it's a, I was talking to Hans Kirsch as he was getting ready to leave today, and he said, one of the reasons we're leaving California, there's just too much wickedness, just too much immorality, and we just don't want to have to deal with it any longer. So they're going to Oklahoma. It's just another problem as far as I'm concerned, but... Um, they're going to Oklahoma. Uh, but you look at what's happened in this area with all this diversity and, and, and uh, the mixed up of religions. And I, and I told you about the, the article that they, a few months ago, they had in the uh, Santa Rosa paper about this spiritual center. It's up there close to my house. And in this spiritual center, they say they make no judgments about anybody's beliefs. And the pastor, if that's what they call him there, uh, that the paper said he's just as likely to read from the Hindu Bhagavad Gita as he is from the Bible. So they call that a spiritual center. Do you know what happens with that? When you have no judgments of morality, when you have no judgments of lifestyle, then any type of lifestyle is fair game. Anything that anybody wants to do, that's okay, because what God says is unimportant. And so we live with all different forms of sexual immorality in in this part well it's really all over the nation now homosexuality and all of that that's good and cool that's acceptable because what you really have to do is be true to yourself and never worry about being true to god that's life in the tribulation only it's worse sin is on steroids in the tribulation people are, are worse sinners then because all the restraints are removed but that is not what life is going to be like in the millennium Not only is there restraint on sin, but it'll be completely locked down. So you won't find a gay bar there. You're not going to find a strip joint or a liquor store or sleazy nightclubs. None of that's going to exist in God's kingdom. People in their natural bodies are still sinners. But they're going to be watched like a hawk. God will be waiting for just any kind of movement towards a public sin. Nobody is going to flaunt their sins in the face of God. Now in America... We believe that we have the right to live like pigs. If we want to live like pigs, we live like pigs. But not then. The rod of iron brings swift judgment. There's a crackdown on all these knuckleheads that like to flaunt their sin in the face of God. Now let me tell you what will happen in in that time when somebody posts on their Facebook page or 
on their Twitter account some of their forays into these wicked things that they'd like to put on there. When they do that, there will be a ruling saint of God that will show up, and he'll be on that like white on rice. Thank God that Christian people are not going to be part of that problem anymore. And that's really a shame for me to have to say that, that Christian people now are a part of the social networking problem. And you know what stresses me to the max? It's when I have a new Christian come in to my office and sit down with me and tell me how disappointed that they are to find out about the not-so-secret lives of some church members. And why isn't it secret? Because people like to parade it everywhere they go, put it on Facebook, put it all out there for everybody to see in living color. It's like, here's who I am. I'm a member of Brian Baptist Church, but I sure like to live in sin. I like to live in the gutter. Somebody asked me the other day, when does that become a matter of church discipline? And I thought that was a very good question. When does that become a matter of church discipline? And I, my answer to that was, well, first, I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. And... Uh, People ask, well, when are you going to stop preaching about it? I stop preaching about it when people stop doing it. But you, you need to be aware of this. At some point, these things will come to a head. And it can get bad enough that we're going to have to say that you can't be a member of Brian Baptist Church and parade your sin in front of everybody. It's just not going to happen. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I, and I want you to, to read this, to get the reference, and to underline this in your Bible. And, and you might even want to tweet this out a few times. Uh, post, it, post it on your Facebook page, whatever you do. Um, you know, and here's another thing. If you want to use Facebook, use it for the glory of God. I mean, do something good with it. Do something that raises the world's morality instead of adding a little more poop to the cesspool. But Paul writes this in, 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 in the, to the Corinthian church. They had a problem with immorality. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you can stop right there. Get that reference. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now what are we talking about? The subject is the kingdom of God, isn't it? And he says these people are not going to inherit it. Then he goes on and he says in the next part there, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Does that mean if you do those kinds of things you'll lose your salvation? No, it's much worse than that. What he means is if you keep that kind of stuff up, it is proof that you never were saved in the first place. Now notice the next verse, verse 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now there is a verse with heightened expectations. Those that are washed by Christ's blood those that are sanctified by his spirit, those that are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, do not do these things. That's high expectations for that Corinthian church. And folks, let me tell you this. It is no different than for the membership of Berean Baptist Church. It is exactly the same. This is what God expects from us. So if you're washed, if you're sanctified, if you are justified, then you're different. And that's why I get distressed when somebody comes in my office with a look of wonder on their face 
because they just learned out learned something about some of our members. Now I hope I'm I hope that 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 I'm that I'm preaching to the choir tonight, so to speak. And I don't mean that I'm trying to get on the choir because they're doing all these things. But, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. You're not the people that are involved in this. I hope that nobody in this church would be guilty of driving somebody away because they found out something about you on Facebook or some of those social networking sites. So I also hope this, that there aren't people who are saying, well, he preaches that from the pulpit, but it's not being practiced in the pew. We don't want to be a church like that. Now, my point, of course, is the kingdom. What is life like in the kingdom? Well, sin is held in check. And I promise you that that Christ will not have to worry about those that are helping to judge in his kingdom, that he's going to have to crack down on them. There will be righteousness in God's kingdom. And so God expects that now. You know why? Because we're living now in God's spiritual kingdom. And if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're expected to live like you are in Christ's kingdom. It doesn't make any difference if it's physically here on earth. We have a command to live the way that God says that we ought to live. We need to obey him, talk like him, act like him. We're in his kingdom now. Well, even lost people in the millennium will live with a different morality than they do now. Sin is not going to be out in the open Sin is not going to hang out a sign that says, here's what I'm going to do, now see what you can do about it. Here's what I want to do, do something about it. Sinners are going to cower in fear in the kingdom. They'll be afraid of the king. So they're going to be far more aware than many Christians are right now that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. That's what it says in Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So we have a change in topography, a change in longevity, a change with animals relationally, a change in people's morality. Those are characteristics of the resplendent millennium. Now I have one more that I want to give you, but uh, we're, we're close to being out of time, so I'm going to hold that till next week. And really, it has some association with the second part of the message anyway. So we'll, we'll look at it later. But there are, there are some folks that are members of Brian Baptist Church that are not here tonight, and they needed to hear this message. So I would suggest that what you do is you send out some copies or you get a link from our website to the sermon and put that on your Facebook page. And whenever you see somebody on there that just, you know, in all this evil stuff, then you just send them that link and say, listen to that sermon. And what I might do, I just might email it to everybody anyway, just so you all get a chance to hear it. Well, it took us close to 100 sermons to, to get, get, in, get into this, to get the apex of the book. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend a little time up here on the mountain of the Lord. Scripture says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters that cover the sea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, that you are our Savior, you are our God. And Lord, as I've stated in the message tonight, we are now living in the kingdom, and there are expectations for the people of God. Lord, I just pray that every one of us would be aware that whether someone else sees what we do or not, you see everything that we do. And we have a responsibility to live like we are your children. And there should be fear in people's hearts that if they continue to do these things and, and they, they 
feel no chastisement about that and, and, and they become callous towards it, that they are probably not even your children at all, that they need salvation. Lord, I just pray that every single member of Brian Baptist Church will be a testimony and a witness wherever we are, that we are, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Bless your people tonight, Lord. We thank you for each one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 